0: morning, we're continuing our study of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. So please take a copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We provided a black one there at your feet, and I would encourage you to please use that. Lay it open on your lap so that you can follow along in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just a bit of context so that we understand what's going on in this letter. The church at Corinth was experiencing a church split. Four groups were clashing over spiritual maturity, of all things. They were dividing into groups based on their favorite teacher. Some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, some followed Peter. And others said they basically rejected all human teachers and just wanted to follow Christ. Well, Paul loved the church at Corinth, at least for one reason, because he had the privilege of planting that church about four years earlier. And so now he's writing back to this church, urging them to forget about their issues and be United. Be united as a church. And so from chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 2 verse 5, Paul explains what unites the church. The larger section is 118 through two 25. And Paul here explains what it is that unites the church of Jesus Christ? Well, this section is so rich that we're going to take three sermons to go through it, and we could easily take many, many more than that because of uh, just the, the wealth, the, the gold goldmine of, of everything that Paul says here. But let me just push pause for a moment. Let me ask you that question. What unites the church? Well, you might say Christ unites the church. Amen. Good answer. But Paul's answer is more specific. Paul's answer is the cross of Christ unites the church. And so what we're going to find out is that in this section, Paul explains that the cross of Christ is the center of unity and the antidote for the division that they're experiencing in the church at Corinth. The center of their unity and the antidote for their division. In chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, he's going to talk to us about the message of the cross. Then next week, Chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, the people of the cross. And then the third week, the third section of this beautiful treasure trove, chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, the preaching of the cross. The message of the cross, the people of the cross, the preaching of the cross. And like I said, it's a a gold mine that... We're going to take three sermons, but we could just stay here for the next three years if we wanted to and and never unearth all that God has revealed to us in this text. So with that overview, today we're studying uh, verse 18 through 25 of chapter 1. And what Paul shows us here is the message of the cross unifies the church of Christ. And if you want an outline, it seems to me, that Paul explains three things. First of all, he explains what the message of the cross is in verse 18. Then he explains why God chose the message of the cross in verse 19 through 21. And then finally, he shows who receives the message of the cross in verse 20 through through 24. So what we're talking about this morning is the what, the why, and the who of the message of the cross of Christ. And friends, my prayer is that you will see God's wisdom and power. In fact, you will see God's glory through the cross of Christ. So let's read God's word together. This is the message of the cross 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 through 25 I'm going to begin in verse 17 for context Verse 17 Paul says for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power For the word of the cross is folly Preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's God's word. So, the first thing that Paul shows us here in verse 18 is what the message of the cross is. So, we ask, What is the message of the cross? The message of the cross. Everywhere we look, we receive messages. No. I mean, just messages, messages, messages all around, visual, verbal, text, email, doesn't matter. Buy this, watch this, subscribe now. We get messages all the time. In fact, I was reading that experts at Forbes estimate that we receive about 5,000 messages a day from various forms of media. They actually said five to 10,000, 10,000 felt a whole lot, you know, like a whole lot to me. So I just used their low number. And I could see that, 5,000 messages a day. Some of those message, messages appeal to us. Some of those messages do not appeal to us whatsoever. But if you had to boil down the message of Christianity to its most basic and essential element, what would it be? You might think, Well, it's the message of how to live like God wants us to live in the world. Maybe you would say that the message of Christianity is how to have eternal life. Maybe you would say the message of Christianity is to love one another. Certainly these are all good things. But when Paul distills christianity to its most basic message he says verse 18 it is the word of the cross not even just the message of christ but the cross of christ and here paul tells us three things about the cross of christ First of all, the message of the cross is the gospel of a crucified Christ. Look at verse 17. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to do what? To preach the gospel. The message of the cross is the good news that God has for man. But about what? Is it the good news that Jesus is our moral example? Is it the good news that Jesus is a great spiritual teacher or a comforting friend? Again, all true. But no. In verse 23 of this section, Paul gets very specific about the message of the cross. Verse 23, he says, We preach Christ... Crucified. The message of the cross is the good news of a crucified Savior. And immediately Paul gives a concession. You got to understand something. Number two, that message is folly, it's foolishness, it is absolutely ridiculous to those who are on their way to ruin, to those who are perishing, to non-Christians, to earth people, to naturally thinking man, a crucified Savior is about as ridiculous as you get. We want a winner! (laughs) I, I think there's a chance that those of us who have been around church a long time, when we think the cross, we overly romanticize it. We just immediately impart all kinds of spiritual meaning to the cross and we forget what the cross really is. The cross really only means one thing. A condemned criminal is being executed. And so here Paul arrives on the frontier of missions in the bustling hub of Corinth in Greece. And he begins to preach this new gospel of a condemned, executed Christ. And he says, you got to understand the people on the street think this is, what's his word there in verse 18? Folly. Maybe your boss does too. Maybe your sister or your brother or your neighbor thinks that you are just as foolish for believing in Jesus as the Corinthians did when Paul was talking about it. But he says not only is the gospel of a crucified Christ folly to those who are headed for ruin. But look number three, the message of the cross is God's power and wisdom to those who are being saved. See that at the end of verse 18, the message of the cross to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. And then look in verse 24. We preach Christ crucified. Verse 24, Christ The power of God and the wisdom of God. So here's our question. How is the cross God's power and wisdom? How does the the executioner's tool become the power and wisdom of God? Well, just very simply, because there on the cross... God satisfied his justice against man's sin. And because God satisfied his justice against sin, now he is able by grace to declare sinners like me and sinners like you righteous. No longer condemned sinners, but now righteous because of the message of the cross. And the Christ of the cross. So friends, the the cross satisfies God's law and his wrath against our sin. Do you recognize that Christianity, though it has many beautiful um, aspects and, and facets of its glory, at the heart, Christianity is about taking care of our sin problem. There was never any need for a Savior until man fell, until we sinned. And from that point forward, God set in motion the plan of redemption to restore fallen sinful man back to himself. The gospel is the good news that God accomplished all of that through not just the life of Christ, Most specifically, the cross of Christ. So just a quick review of the entire Old Testament. Here's here's how it happens. Sinners are separated from God. They're under the penalty of wrath, condemned in their sin. And we deserve it. But God who is just must punish sin, must mete out the penalty of death. And yet, because he is gracious and merciful, he makes a way for sinners to be saved, for that penalty to be satisfied. So from the very beginning, God set in motion this whole uh, system, this beautiful sacrificial system where the innocent would die on behalf of the guilty. It's called sacrificial or substitutionary atonement. So, do you remember in the Old Testament what we see are are sinners, God's people, bringing sacrifices to the temple and those sacrifices were killed, the blood was shed, so that the guilty sinner could be declared righteous. All of that Thousands and millions of animals pointed forward to the great Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be sacrificed as our substitute on the cross and shed his blood so that our sin could be forgiven and we could be declared righteous. And Jimmy read that for us in Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. Did you hear about the sacrificial atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ? He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took on himself the chastisement that brought us peace. All of our iniquity was laid on him. And out of the anguish of his soul, God saw and was satisfied by the knowledge the righteous one, my servant, makes many to be accounted righteous. Friends, that is the good news of a crucified messiah and it is the power and wisdom of god to take care of our biggest problem i love colossians chapter 3 the way it puts it there because i can just visualize it so much you ever feel like you have a rap sheet of sin that's standing against you condemning you i do Mine would be like one of those Old Testament scrolls that would just keep on going and just keep on going, right? Colossians 2.14 God forgives our sin not by sweeping that under the rug. Not by saying, it's okay, I know your scroll is really big, but... I'm just going to overlook it. No, he can't do that. He's a just judge. God forgives our sin and makes us righteous by this way. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. God took our rap sheet of sin and he nailed it to the cross of Christ and Jesus died for it in our place. The innocent for the guilty. And now Romans 8, 1 is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The message of the cross is the power and wisdom of God for salvation. Then in verse 19 through 21, Paul gets away from explaining what the message of the cross is, and he explains why God chose to do it this way. Why did God choose The cross, verse 19 through 21, read that again. For it is written, two reasons, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God has two purposes, and there are two pleasures of God here in choosing something that seems as foolish and weak as the cross. The first one is this, verse 19 and 20. The message of the cross is how God has determined to make a fool of the world's wisdom. See, humanity, we have come up with our own quote-unquote wisdom, haven't we? And we present it through a variety of experts. Look, he even lists some of them there. The wise man, the scribe, the debater of this world system. Oh, we think we're hot stuff. We've got it all figured out. We know how life works. We're the master of our own destiny. And what it says here in verse 19 and 20 is that God has determined to make a fool out of the world's wisdom. Do you see that at the end of verse 20? Has not God made foolish, made a fool of the wisdom of the world? Through the cross, what seems foolish to us, God shows his supreme wisdom. So that, verse 25, is true. Look at the end of our section. Verse 25 so that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God determined to make a fool of the world's wisdom and he did it through the message of a crucified Christ that is wiser and stronger than the best man has to offer and exposes it as utterly Foolish. Why did God choose the message of the cross? There's another purpose. Look in verse 20. Pardon me, verse 21. The second purpose, which actually Paul shows here is not just a purpose, but it's a pleasure of God. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. See, the message of the cross is not only how God determined to make a fool of the world's wisdom, but the message of the cross is how God determined to save by faith rather than acquiring wisdom. Look at verse 21 again. In his wisdom, in God's wisdom... He did not ordain that humanity would come to know Him through the acquisition of wisdom. We do not come to know God, nor do we come to spiritual maturity, nor do we come to salvation by acquiring wisdom. That's not how God ordained salvation to take place. It's a good thing for low IQ guys like me. But what is God's plan if it's not by acquiring wisdom, which by the way would be many of the religions of the world that we we grow into greater states of spirituality and divinity the more wisdom we acquire. What is God's plan? It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, through the preaching of a crucified Christ to save those who believe. God determined that salvation would be by faith. Not how much wisdom, knowledge, power, or skill you can acquire. But by believing, by faith. And what does that do? That squashes the ability of man and glorifies the grace of God to save by faith. Proverbs chapter 9 says it like this. Wisdom does not come through education. Where does wisdom come from? Proverbs nine ten: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So we get wisdom when we fear God, when we see who God is and we see who we are. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. God determined that salvation would be by faith not by works and not by the acquisition of wisdom. And so through the foolishness of this message of a crucified Christ, God saves sinners by his grace through their response of faith to just trust God, not my own power, not man's ability to save ourselves. Then verse 22 through 24, the final section of what Paul talks about here. Question number three. So who receives the message of the cross? We see what it is. We see at least two reasons why God chose this strange way to accomplish his purposes. But question number three, who receives the message of the cross? Verse 22 through 24. For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Who receives the message of the cross, friends? Not the Jews. Why? The Jews reject the message of the cross because they're looking for signs of God's favor. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. What happened to him? He was executed. Not God's favor. And especially in that form. The Old Testament teaches every faithful Jew that, quote, "cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree." And so when they see this so-called Messiah being hung on a tree, then they know this is not this is not God's favor. This is literally God's curse on him. And by that they get it right, don't they? That's the gospel. Paul explains that in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Jews are offended by the cross. Because what the cross says is, we are so bad that God himself had to come and die in our place. And furthermore, Jesus of Nazareth is that God. They considered him a blasphemer. And appealed to Rome to put him to death. Who receives the message of the cross? Well, not those who are looking for signs of God's favor. You're not going to find it in the cross unless you understand what's actually going on there, right? Who receives the message of the cross? Well, not the Greeks. So understand here, when it talks about Greeks, who is it talking about? Corinthians. They're Greeks. They live in Greece. So not the average guy on the street in Corinth. What is the message that appeals to the average guy on the street or the average house, you know, mom on the street in Corinth? Well, it says here that they are seeking wisdom. The kind of wisdom that Corinth is looking for is the wisdom for success in business and athletics and in politics and self-improvement. We're looking for what works in life. So if you're the typical Corinthian, the message of a crucified Christ is ridiculous to you because you're looking for the wisdom that leads to success, not the wisdom that leads to execution and condemnation. Following and trusting a condemned criminal? Sounds like failure, not success, man. We want winners. I like winners. Nobody's still cheering for the gladiator who died in the arena. So here comes Paul preaching the good news, the gospel of God's power through the guy who died on the cross. Who receives the message of the cross? It's rejected by those who are looking for signs of God's favor. It's ridiculous to those who are looking for the wisdom of a success. But it is received. By whom? Verse 24. But to those who are called. It is received by those whom God has called. Both Jews and Greeks. Do you see that next? There's a difference between Jews and Jews, Greeks and Greeks. Because God has called some of them. Open their eyes, we're going to find out in chapter 2. Open their eyes to spiritual truth that can only be understood through the miraculous working of God's Holy Spirit to understand the gospel and be regenerated in that small phrase there in verse 22 we have the magnificent mysterious miraculous and decisive work of god that causes salvation it is god who calls And when God calls Jews who would otherwise reject the cross as offensive, they become humbled and they see God's power. When God calls Greeks who would otherwise consider the cross to be ridiculous, their eyes and their minds are open to see the wisdom of God. unless you think that it's just this small little phrase upon which one might build a doctrine like this, please consider the words of Jesus. John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Who can come? Answer, whoever. That's verse 35. Two verses later, verse 37, same Jesus, same conversation. Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So who comes? All that the Father gives to the Son. A couple of sentences later, verse 44. Jesus says, No one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And at the end of this public talk John chapter 6 verse 65 Jesus says this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the father in other words Jews are offended by it Greeks think it's ridiculous but to those whom God has called Christ crucified is what the power of God the wisdom of God what's the message of the cross the message of the cross is the gospel of a crucified Christ that is God's wisdom and power To save. Why did God choose the message of the cross? The message of the cross is how God has determined to make a fool of the world's wisdom and to save by faith in His wisdom. Who receives the message of the cross? The message of the cross is received by those whom God has called and all of those whom God has called come to Jesus by faith. The message of the cross is the center unifying message of Christianity, friends. Let me just suggest a couple of applications before we are done. What should we do about this? Everybody in the room. Number one. Believe it. Do you? Do you believe the message of the cross? Do you believe? Do you trust? The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Or does what the cross say about who Jesus is, and who you are. Listen, the cross says that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves by working hard enough or being good enough. The cross says God had to come die for us. Is that offensive? Does that sound ridiculous? Or is that God's power and wisdom for life for you? Believe it. Trust it, my friends. Trusting the cross means turning away from every other way of trying to earn favor with God. It it means turning away from working for salvation or or trying to be good enough and and counting yourself good enough that I, I hope to get in. No, you can't. God had to send his son to die in your place. No good works. You can't mow enough lawns to overcome that. Believe it. For salvation. But it doesn't stop there. The, the message of the cross. As one says. Is not just the ABC's of Christianity. It is the A through Z. Did you notice what it said in verse 18? To those who are being saved. It is the power of God. So don't just believe it, but meditate on the message of the cross for life and growth. Christian friend, you'll never go beyond the cross. If you will just stay right there at the cross of Christ and meditate on it, you will find there all the power you need and all the wisdom that you need for life. So here's your assignment. Consider today, tomorrow. Consider. How does the cross of Christ provide power for my responsibilities at home? How does the cross of Christ actually provide power for parenting, wisdom for marriage, power for relationships, wisdom for growing old? How does the cross of Christ, what does the cross of Christ say when I'm sick? What does the cross of Christ say when I get a raise? It's all there. It's God's power and God's wisdom, not just to start things, but to sustain and grow you to those who are being saved. It is continually the power and wisdom of God. So meditate on the message of the cross. Number three. Have your kids become disciples of Jesus yet? Have you gotten to know your neighbor? And you love your neighbor. You want to see your neighbor become a Christian? Share the message of the cross. Share it. That's what Paul says. He says, when I came to town, you'll notice, I did not come with a message that was going to necessarily appeal to Corinth. I didn't come with clever rhetoric or eloquent words. I didn't come in the same way that every other showman comes to town to make a buck. I came with the simple, straightforward word of a crucified Christ. That's what your kids need to hear. They need to understand everything that the cross of Christ communicates. So share it with them. Yes, build a relationship with your neighbor. Yes, do kindness around town. Yes, help the poor, but share the cross. That's the power of God to make disciples of Jesus, not just our kindness. Kindness minus gospel is just kindness. And when you share it, do two things. Number one, expect people to think you're nuts. Because the cross of Christ is what? F-O-L-L-Y. It's folly. And number two, when you share it, understand that it is a seed that almost always takes time. To grow. So just rest. In faithfully. Sharing the gospel. Week after week mom. Month after month. Year after year dad. Neighbor. Hospitality after hospitality. Just keep sowing the gospel. It is the power of God. For salvation. And finally. Believe it, meditate on it, share it, and then church, unite around it. The most important emphasis of this text is the cross, the message of the cross is the unity of the church. You feel division? You feel you feel theological differences between you and somebody else that just irritate you, get under your skin. People believe that, people believe that. They go to this church, they go to that church. Unite around the cross of Christ. And as far as the church is concerned, we want to saturate ourselves with it. We are so centered on the cross that we want to read it and pray it and sing it and preach it and see it. Everything we do is shaped by the cross. The cross. So if you wonder sometimes why our songs are so thick and heavy and like you actually have to think about the words. It's because they're doctrinally rich, theologically sound and glorious in the grace of God through the cross of Christ. Because that, the cross, is the center of Christianity. We bow our hearts before you, Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, we join with the multitudes around the throne who are right now singing a new song. We will join them someday in person, singing to a lamb who stands but is as though he had been slain. And we will sing a song saying, Worthy are you, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, you have made us a kingdom and priest to our God and They, we, shall reign on earth forever. Jesus, we glorify you for the foolishness and weakness, the power and wisdom of the cross. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.